Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Welcome into another Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm your host, Matt Moderno. I've got a really special episode for you here today. This is actually our 100th episode. Just can't believe, uh, you know, the success we've had with the podcast and the really positive feedback we've gotten. A lot of really good reviews from people and some nice messages about how they really like the content and look forward to it each week. And and that means the world to me. I know it means the world to Larry. I think he's looking forward to getting back in here pretty pretty soon, hopefully, especially as the high school season for his son wraps up. So Hopefully we can get him in here for uh, some Wizards input pretty soon. In his stead, we have some amazing guests here today. Mr. Steve Buckhant, the voice of the Wizards, in my opinion, will be joining us in a little bit. And we'll just be talking about his thoughts on the team, somebody that was closely around multiple iterations of the team and how they might compare to this year's group. And then we'll be hearing from Vinny Hardy, the host of Believe in Kentucky, to talk about Kentucky point guard Ty Ty Washington. I know it's somebody that a lot of fans have mentioned to me, particularly as somebody they're interested in. So... I thought let's hear from somebody who watches him every game and can provide some firsthand knowledge of what he's like and what his game is like and how he might fit here in Washington. So stay tuned for all that. First, just a word from one of our sponsors, Bet Online. Football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full swing for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next coach fired is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for all your favorite sports betting needs. Head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE to get started. And it's not just basketball. Bet Online is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC odds, right to Olympics coverage, and it's the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, Bet Online is your number one online wagering destination. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, let's get to our conversation with Steve. I'm sure you'd rather hear more from him than, than hear me ramble anyway, and I totally don't blame you. After we talk to Steve for a while, we'll transition into our convo with Vinny. Again, I just want to say thank you to everyone for tuning into the podcast. It, it means a lot to me, and I know this team means a lot to you. So thanks for making us a part of your Wizards fandom and carving out the time out of your daily routines and lives and, and all that important stuff. So thank you again for that. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. If you like what you hear, leave us a review. We do appreciate that. If you don't like what you hear, let us know that too. We'll see what we can do. We've gotten some really good feedback on stuff we can incorporate. So gonna try to do that, you know, work in some new segments, things like that, just to to make the format as fresh as possible and, and try to get new content out there. All right, with that, let's get to Steve. All right, just like to bring in legendary Wizards broadcaster Steve Buckhans. Uh Steve, thanks so much for joining me. Hey Matt, always a pleasure to be here. You're one of the uh, few repeat 
guests on the show here. So I don't know if that's something we're doing or not, but I definitely appreciate you being willing to come back on and talk a little more wizards today. I feel honored. For anybody who hasn't checked it out on the road with Buck and Phil, it's awesome. You guys have so many great guests and I hope people are are going back through and and just checking them out and and they kind of live forever. So plenty of opportunity to go back and and hear some from some really influential people in basketball history. Thank you. Yeah, we had a good time. We like you say, we had some great guests. And uh, even even myself, I like to go back and listen to some of the ones, especially with the local people that we had on. And we had a lot of local people, but, you know, people like Van Pelt and Gus Johnson and Christine Brennan and Michael Wilbon and, you know, all the coaches that we had on locally and the sports junkies and uh, Feinstein and just, just so many really good guests. It, it's, it's almost worth going back just to give it a second listen. A lot of local dream guests there, and and you're one for pretty much everybody else's Wizards podcast. So we see your tweets on the team and things like that, but haven't had as many opportunities lately to hear your your thoughts on the team. So I think people will love this. I just, where are you with this team? Um, I know you're you're still busy working and stuff too. So do you get to watch every game? Are you keeping pretty close tabs on them? What's your relationship with the Wizards these days? Well, I, yeah, I see every game, and um, you know, I go through the frustrations that that the players do, that the broadcasters do, that the management does. Um, you know, this last, the latest deal that Tommy, uh, you know, uh, orchestrated, uh, we don't know. I mean, I think I, I, it has the makings of being something really good because they got a top line player. You know, they got a guy who's a really, really good player when he's healthy. He's Porzingis. Uh, but, you know, he, he plays, he's only played 34 games this year. He played 43 last year. He played 57 the year before, so he's never played a full season. Even in his first year with the Knicks, he played 72. But obviously, he was very productive those years. I think his third year in the league, he averaged like 23 points and you know, like six and a half rebounds. And one year, he averaged almost 10 rebounds. So look, he's a top-line player. We just don't know about his health. So Tommy's taken a little bit of a risk there, but a risk that you know is probably worth it because in the long run, he was able to deal a, a big contract, a Berton's contract, and obviously he's underperformed after having such a great year, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Uh, he gets rid of Spencer Dinwiddie's deal. Now, when Dinwiddie came, I thought that was the steal of the summer. As did I. I called it Gilbert 2.0. I really thought well, that, was that was the was kind of situation. I, I couldn't believe that. I mean, and he he was coming off, of, uh, I guess, a knee, but um, he was playing great. And I thought, man, what a pickup this guy was. And he played well for a while. And then obviously the last couple of months, he's underproduced. And so he leaves, he's gone. Uh, the two guys that really I was more so sad to see leave were Montres Harrell, who uh, plays with a tremendous amount of passion. And I just think he's a good player. And um, Aaron Holiday. I, I really liked Aaron Holiday. I mean, listen, when this guy got into the lane, he was so adept at making making running jump shots, floating jump shots, yeah. as well as Steph Curry. I mean, he this guy was unbelievable, and I was really impressed by him. And I thought he was a good player. Now, again, having said that, they get Ish Smith back, and Ish, who's now is his third time here. You know, there was a few years ago uh, he just didn't make the team because of a number situation, and I think he wound up going to Philadelphia, but. Um, Really good player, picks up the pace. Uh, you know, his, his, he gets into the lane and he's like a little water bug, man. You can't, yeah, you just he's can't stop him. Yeah. yeah, he's unbelievable. I really like him. Plus, he's smart. Um, he's a good guy and he knows the game of basketball. 
but your question was, you know, where, where, where do we go with this team? I mean, there's so many parts to this team. When you look at this squad, there's a lot of good players on this team. And we don't even have Bradley Beal playing right now. Yep. Hopefully he's back and he is, gets healthy and, you know, and he's here and, and all of that. And he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, the frustration that he experiences doesn't overwhelm him. But you look at the guys on this team. Kuzma is such a good player. I mean, he's legit. I, I I told you before, I love Hal Neto. I would always get a Hal Neto on my team. Does he make some turnovers? Of course, every guy makes turnovers. But he's a really good, smart player. Kispert is a great shooter. Um, you look at the centers. I understand, you know, we got rid of Harrell. We have a bunch of centers. And I love the passion that Thomas Bryant plays with. I think he's a really good player. And I love uh, Gafford. And, you know, they're both pretty good rim protectors. And Rui could turn out to be a tremendous player someday. I mean, this team has a lot of good players and and still has depth. So now you add Porzingis to the mix and Ish, and someday you get Beal back next year. Um, I, I don't know where, you know, the, where the rotation is. I don't know what's in Wes's head, uh, but they need to find some consistency. And as we've talked about for many, many years, ad nauseum, you got to play defense. Would okay? be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> when they started out 10 and three, it seemed like they were playing defense and everybody bought into it. And then as things began to get a little more inconsistent, sometimes there'd be lapses in defense and what have you. You have to want to play defense. Now, look, sure. that's easier said than done. Not every team does that. There's a few teams out there when you watch them that, that do it. And especially when it gets to the playoffs, then every team does it. But you look around the league and you look at a team like Miami, you know, they Spolstra has instilled in them the the desire and the understanding that to be an all around consistent team, you got to play at both ends of the court. And that's a suffocating team, the Miami Heat. And when they get into the playoffs, it's ratcheted up to another level. So the Wizards, like any other team that plays inconsistent on defense, needs to understand that this is a big part of the game and we have to want to play defense and all the frustrations and any dissension and any locker room BS, you know, you got to get over that stuff. Of course, winning seems to cure all of that. Funny how that works, isn't it? When the team wins, everybody's happy and there's no dissension and guys are excited to play and they go out and they play hard. But when you blow a 35 point lead and you lose at the buzzer, that makes you get frustrated and makes you start talking amongst yourselves and maybe pointing fingers and things like that. So they need to get over all of that, find out what their rotation is going to be and what they're going to do with all of these players who I think are a really good group of players. I think for the most part, it seems like almost to the man, these guys have slightly underperformed to what we'd expect other than maybe Kyle Kuzma, who has definitely exceeded my expectations. Not that they've all played poorly, but you know, the shooting, the shooting has been down kind of across the board this year, things like that. And then you hear all this stuff after the trade deadline about the locker room chemistry being off. And immediately uh, we hear how much better the chemistry is. And, and the team seems to reflect that in the energy level, the effort level, those types of things. TV you were around so many of these Wizards teams that definitely had some questionable stuff going on in the locker room, but it almost, for the most part, didn't really seem to affect them as much on court. What do you think was going on behind the scenes with these guys that everybody just looked like a little bit off at the very least? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speak out of turn because I am not a part of the 
sure. the deal there. And I don't see what's going on behind the mm-hmm. scenes. I can just tell you that um, when you experience uh, certain, uh, when you experience losing or inconsistency, uh, it, it it brings out a frustration level. Um, and then there may be one or two guys whose personality um, doesn't suit somebody else. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm speculating in that regard, mm. but I know when guys get, when, when there's losing and a lot of losing or inconsistent play, you know, this, this is the stuff that comes out in the locker room. You get point, uh, finger pointing and you get some dissension and you get frustration and you get guys questioning, you know, what direction they're headed in. Uh, but you know what, these things can be very fickle. You know, one day you, you, you look at Twitter, you look at social comments and people are, you know, you know, targeting Wes Unsell Jr. and saying, this guy's not what we need. This guy needs to go. Tommy needs to go. Then they win a game or two and they're like, or they make a trade like they did. And they're like, well, Tommy's a genius of the year, you know? Right. So it's very fickle throughout the course of a season. That's why, that's why when you hear coaches say, uh, there's a lot of basketball left, or there's a lot of season left, they know, you know, if you go through a losing period, they know that you can snap out of that. It happens to every team almost. And uh, you just got to be patient and, and try to keep playing. But, uh, you know, it's interesting when a move like this happens, you do regenerate a little enthusiasm, I think, and maybe it shows on the court. The question is, can they sustain that? You know, will uh, will losing a game or two here bring them back down again? Right. Or will winning another couple of games now, you know, they got teams coming up that they can that they can beat. And we, you know, we already see them, you know, see what they can do against good teams. They can beat good teams. As for some reason, they have Philadelphia's number. I don't know what that is all about, but uh, they're capable of doing that. So that's why I say they have enough good players on this team when they play together and when the when the rotation is right and they uh, you know um, exert a little um, enthusiasm on defense, they can beat almost any team in the league. They just have to try to be consistent. We talked obviously just now about like chemistry and things like that. I think veteran leadership is important. And we heard a lot about that from Russell Westbrook last year, Ish Smith, Robin Lopez. I think that's probably one of the main reasons they brought Ish Smith back. Uh, I know he was one of the guests on your podcast and, and you know, Ish a little bit. What do you think he brings to the mix for them as they try to kind of groom some of these younger guys for a run next year, potentially? Well, it's, it's all those things that you mentioned. It's experience, it's intelligence, it's knowing how to play the game. It's your personality. And it's also credibility. And, you know, he's been around long enough. I think he's respected enough uh, to have a voice and for people to listen to that voice. I mean, some guys have a voice and nobody cares or they, they, you know, they cast them aside and they listen. But he's got, I think, enough credibility. He's been here now three times. He knows some of the guys on the team. And, um, you know, there are certain players that when they speak, other players listen. I think players yearn for somebody to take a role as a leader, mm-hmm. you know, because not every player can be a leader. And not every player wants to wants to be a leader. Right. So when you find the guys who do have that voice, like Ish Smith, um, you know, for the most part, you want to listen to him. Uh, you want to hear what he has to say. Uh, you want to follow his le- his leadership. So, so I think he's one of those guys, you know. And look, Bradley Beal is one of those guys because he's very vocal. You know, he's become very vocal. He's obviously got credibility. He's the face of this team. 
So he obviously is a guy that when he speaks, hopefully people are listening to him and he understands his role as a leader. Uh, Back in the day, you know, you had guys that would say, well, I don't really want to be a leader or I lead by example of what I do on the court. And that's fine because not everybody's going to be a leader, but certain guys have to have a voice and Ish is one of them. And I think Bradley is one of them. There's probably some other guys on the team, but I don't know them that well, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of those guys weren't there when I was around. So um, I don't know them. Kyle Kuzma is one that kind of comes to mind for me. I think as fans, a lot of times we make lasting judgments about people, you know, based on where they were in an, you know, another destination or the role they were in, in a previous spot. And you hear a lot of stuff in, in post games about Kuzma taking uh, Denny Avdia aside and making him play one-on-one or teaching things he learned from Rajon Rondo to Corey Kispert and, and that sort of thing. Uh, so I, I think that's important for us to fan as fans remember sometimes that guys can kind of grow and evolve into different roles. And, and Kuzma has been the one for me that I've been most surprised by how mature he seems and his ability to take guys under his wing. Any guys you can yeah. oh, go ahead. Steve. No, no question about that. I mean, he's, he, you know, and I think a lot of it has to do with, I don't know. I hate to say this, but, if you don't play well on the court, guys aren't going to listen to you. Yep. You know, they're going to say like, well, who is this guy? But you see what he's done. I mean, he's, he was a good player in LA, but I mean, he's, he's been able to really develop his game here and um, show us all what kind of talent he is. And he's a really good player. He's a great shooter. He rebounds. He knows the game. He's got basketball IQ and all that stuff. So um, for him to, to, to take those guys aside, like you said, and they need that, you know, Avdi mm-hmm. is young, Kispert's young, you know, these guys need somebody to, to come in and say, Hey, this is, this is, I've been there. I played with these guys. I played with a big market team. This is what we need to do. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I welcome that. And I don't know who else on the team has that capability other than the guys we talked about, but um, he's one of them. Yeah. Not in terms of maybe necessarily of exactly the way they play, but the guy I've kind of compared Kuzma's addition to is Karan Butler. He came from playing with uh, Kobe Bryant. You know, he kind of brought some of those lessons with him. And he just had sort of a different mindset that maybe the other guys on that team didn't really have, you know, prior to his arrival. Do you see any parallels between the two there? Yeah. I mean, Karan had a real fiery passion for the game and his personality. And that's not to say that every one of these guys doesn't have a fiery passion because they're all professional athletes. That's what they're supposed to do. But certain guys, it stands out. You know, you can see it. And he was one of Karan was one of those guys. And, um, uh, you know, we saw the way he he was around the team and not afraid to speak his mind and those kinds of things. And but, you know, I see that with a lot of guys. They they're such competitors that when they don't win or they don't perform to the level that they think they should, or the team doesn't perform to the level that it's supposed to, they get very frustrated. Look, you know, great examples, you know, are Michael Jordan and Larry Bird. Okay. These are two of the greatest players of all time, but as coaches or mentors, they struggle a little bit because nobody could come to their level. Mm -hmm. Their, their standard was so high that, that nobody could achieve that. And it made them frustrated. You know, I saw it with Kwame Brown with Michael. And I saw it with other players and obviously Larry Bird when he was mentoring or coaching or whatever. Um, yeah. So, so when you're a, when you're a, an athlete and you're a competitor like those guys at a very high level, it's difficult sometimes because guys just can't rise to the level you're used to. And that's where that frustration sets in. I think as fans this year, we've made a lot of um, 
maybe not fuss, but we focused a lot on uh, the report of like Montrez Harrell taking a swing at KCP in the locker room or uh, Davis Bertans and Denny Avdia kind of yelling at each other on the sideline. But as somebody who's been around, you know, multiple iterations of this team, kind of front row and center, is that really that out of the ordinary? I mean, we always heard reports of like Brendan Haywood and Atan Thomas getting into fist fights, and and they seem to be able to play through it. So, is that really that extreme? I guess. No, it's not because you got twelve or fifteen guys, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. them, um, all different personalities. Not everybody's going to get along together all the time, and not all everybody is going to get along together for the whole season. You know, there may be spurts during the season where guys are kind of fussing at each other, or maybe their personalities clash or whatever. Again, winning has a way of, of curing all of that. When you're winning, everybody seems to be having fun, but you know, these guys get to a level where one guy thinks somebody else is hogging the basketball or they're not a team player or, you know, uh, they're not contributing or what have you. And it gets guys riled up. But um, I, I, listen, there've been so many different, Examples that you mentioned and, you know, Tracy Murray, uh, you know, and Rod Rod and, you know, different guys. I've seen a lot of that happen, but generally for the most part, um, I've seen guys that like each other and play together when we had the big three here, you know, despite Gilbert's antics, you know, know, everybody got along and it was, you know, it was fun. It was a fun time. So, um, I think you're going to have that, um, but it works itself out. You know, it's a long season. It's six months long. It's 82 regular season games. It's playoffs if you get there. Uh, and these guys are, you know, look, man, these guys live together. You know, we as broadcasters, you know, I spend more time with Phil than I did my, you know, my wife. So mm-hmm. um, you better get along with somebody in the long run or you're not going to enjoy the, the relationship for very long. Do you see like a relationship between how much time the players spend together off the court and how successful they are? You always heard about the San Antonio teams and team dinners and everyone on the team showed up. And and then you hear about Embiid and Simmons and guys like that, that never spend any time together. I guess, does that matter or does it sort of just depend on the individual personalities? Well, I I think it matters, but it also depends on the individual. There are going to be certain guys that, that um, gravitate towards each other. Mm-hmm. Okay. One guy and another guy might become best friends or one guy and two other guys or what, you know, that kind of thing. And you'll have little groups that might on the road, go out together for dinner or what have you. Um, and then there'll be other guys that just never get that close with each other. So I think it's a personality driven thing. You know, now look, we used to do group things, which were, were a lot of fun. And I think that matters. So sometimes we'd go on the road and, you know, our, our guy, Eddie Tapscott, who seemed to have all these contacts and would arrange things, you know, we'd all go to, uh, they'd rent a movie theater and we'd all go see a first run movie together. That's and cool. they even invited us, which was really cool. Um, and that made us feel closer to the team, but we, you know, but there's something to be said for, for things like that. You know, we go to Milwaukee. I remember, I think we were in Milwaukee and we rented out a theater and we saw, uh, James Bond movie, maybe like the last James Bond movie that was made or two, two ago mm-hmm. and everybody was there. And so you, everybody got their popcorn and, you know, and guys sat in little groups together, but the, but we were all there together. 
and the team was all together. And, you know, there's, there's some camaraderie there and there's something to be said for that. But look, you build that camaraderie over the course of a season. You know, you go to training camp together. That's where it starts. And then you start, you know, the whole season, like I say, you're living together, man. You're, this is a family and, you know, it, it, it better be a, a good family and not the Manson family or you got problems. Uh, for you guys, I would imagine that having more FaceTime with the players made your jobs easier when you kind of understand what they're about and how they tick. It, it makes it easier to talk about, you know, why they do what they do. Did that get harder, you know, toward the end of, of your run as players sort of become more standoff with, you know, standoffish with media and things like that? Yes, it got harder for me personally, and I think Phil as well, for a couple of reasons. One, the older we got, the less we had in common with the young guys coming in. Mm-hmm. Many of the young guys, not all of them, but many of them had no desire to communicate with us for whatever reason. Whereas I looked at some of the other guys like Karan and Antoine and Brendan, mm-hmm. you know, these guys would come to the back of the plane where we sat. and interact with us. And I think they had a genuine interest in what we did. Now, as it turns out, all of them experienced some form of, you know, foray into broadcasting. So especially Brendan, who majored in communications at Carolina and has done really well, I think they understood that they wanted to pick our brain a little bit. Jason Smith did the same thing for a while, and he went to a broadcasting school. Uh, I didn't get to know him all that well, but he was there for a year or two when I was there. So um, I think these guys understood, understood, but a lot of the young guys don't. And a lot of the players don't, you know, they, they're in their own world and they, they're, they're, they, they believe a lot of the press clippings and they make so much money that they really have no interest in what we do. And that's fine with me. I understood that, but it became more and more difficult, I think, for us to, um, you know, to, to, uh, gravitate and, and interact with these guys. Now, look, when you go to practice, you make it your business to to interact with them a little bit, but it's difficult when there's a difference of, you know, 30 or 40 years between you. And everybody has headphones on and, you know, that yeah, sort of thing all of that stuff, but still, you know, there were guys that I, for whatever reason, gravitated towards and towards me, you know, Tracy Murray became, you know, uh, what I consider to be a really good friend. He would come to mm-hmm. my golf tournament. He didn't even play golf, but he'd come to my tournament that we have for St. Jude every year and then write me a check for a thousand dollars, you know, and Not stuff bad. like that. Um, you know, same thing with Antoine and Karan. These, you know, are guys you still have, you know, some relationships with. Um, guys that, um, you know, I, I just that that I really enjoyed being around. Marching Gortat, you know, we used to mm-hmm. sit after games in the locker room. Now he he needed somebody to vent to. <laughs> he vented to me a lot. And because I didn't mind listening, you know, but I enjoyed it. I would sit there and we'd sit in the locker room and after a loss or whatever, or even after a win and, you know, enjoy chatting and stuff like that. There are certain guys that are personable like that, that you just tend to gravitate towards. So uh, it became a little more difficult, but, you know, there were a lot of guys that I really enjoyed the relationship with. I think you probably know this, I would imagine, but you guys are still beloved here. You and Phil as a duo, everybody talks about that. You hear, uh, you know, almost daily, somebody says something about the, 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 the old broadcast crew. We would love to have you guys back all, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I think part of the reason we were so spoiled with you, particularly Steve is because you were a fan of this team first. And that really, you know, came across during the broadcast. 
it was it hard to transition from fan to employee and and now back to fan do you have the same relationship you did you know prior to to working in that situation i'm just curious what it's like for you these days kind of watching the team yeah no i mean it's an interesting question um no the, it's completely different because before before I did the Wizards, I was at Channel 5 for 14 years. Mm. So I, I had a lot of interaction with the team and with Wes Unsell, you know, the, the father uh, who, you know, he made, you know, basically threatened me to come to his basketball camp to do a story on it, which I did. He sent me a basketball, which I have in my office. And, uh, and on it, it says, it says, Buck, get your butt out here, Wes. Uh, and so I went, you know, when West calls, yeah, you go, you better, yep. we went, we did a really neat story on his camp, which was in Annapolis. Um, so I had interactions because we covered the team. Plus I filled in a number of times for, for, uh, Mel Proctor mm-hmm. with Phil. And so I, I did have a really good relationship with Mr. Poland, who I think really liked me, Susan O'Malley, obviously she hired me. Um, and I had a real good relationship with them. Now, obviously, growing up before I got to Washington in 1984, I was a fan from uh, distance. You know, I was working mm-hmm. in other cities. And then when I was a kid, that's when it started, you know, in 1967, you know, when I would go to the Baltimore Civic Center. So um, and then to be involved with the team as a broadcaster, you know, it was a great experience. Um, again, working with Mr. Poland and Susan, who hired me and she put all of her trust in me. And I really I'm indebted to her for that. And I always appreciated that Matt Williams, the PR guy, and we all became very, very close friends. And obviously Phil, who, you know, when I was growing up was my, my second idol after Earl Monroe. And then to be able to work with him was phenomenal. You know, I had to pinch myself a lot of the time and just to be able to be doing games on that level, I would consistently look around and just say, man, I can't believe I'm standing next to, LeBron James, or I'm standing next to, you know, Kevin Durant or, you know, whomever it happened to be, uh, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, driving Gilbert Arenas to his car at the airport, you know, stuff like that, crazy stuff that happens. Uh, I was blessed to be able to do that. The way things ended with the team wasn't uh, particularly good. And so I have a little bit of a different opinion about things now. Uh, it's harder for me to watch games. I haven't been to a game since that I left. I probably won't go to a game. Um, It's difficult to listen to the broadcast because I did a number of games with Drew Gooden Mm -hmm. and he's a very good friend. He's a very close friend. I love the guy. And I think he's an excellent broadcaster. And that hurts because I thought we had a pretty good chemistry together too. Mm -hmm. And obviously with Carol Lawson, the two years she was there, I mean, but nobody will top Phil in the relationship we had. But so it makes it, it's a little more difficult now to be able to, but I'm still a fan. I'll always be a fan of the team. And I think that you're right, Matt. Um, There's something to be said for, and not every guy can do it. Most guys can't do it, but growing up in a town and then becoming a broadcaster for a team. Yeah. How do you be objective? It's hard. Well, well, but there's nothing like it. I mean, that, that gives you a different, whole intensity level, you know, now look, sometimes it came across on the air in a negative way because I got so mad or frustrated that I'd stop talking for 45 seconds, (laughs) you know, but I think fans, real fans could appreciate. Uh, You you were one of us and we could feel that. 
one of you guys. You know, there were times when I wanted to throw a shoe at the TV. And I know every fan does too. And so, I, you know, I, I kind of, now look, the problem with doing something like that is that the owner doesn't appreciate it and the general manager doesn't appreciate it. And I, there were, you know, times when Ernie and I would sit down and he'd say, you know, don't be, you could say 99 positive things about the team. Mm-hmm. And the they remember the one that you say something negative. That's what they remember. Yep. And that, and listen, that's been that way. And that'll be that way for every broadcaster forever. And so, you know, Ernie would say something to me or a PR guy would say, Hey, you know, the, this got, you know, they didn't like when you said that, you know? And so I, I kind the way I looked at it was, I felt like I had earned the ability to be a little bit critical, critical mm-hmm. because a I've been in this market since 1984, and maybe even more importantly, b I was a fan when nobody else was a fan. I was, you know, I was 12, 13 years old when I started loving this team, and so it to be a broadcaster for the team in the city where you grew up in, that's a dream come true. And, you know, I would have loved to have done the uh, Washington football team and been, been their play-by-play guy. You know, Bram does a great job, but I thought that would have been a perfect outlet for me as well, having covered the team. Yeah, for sure. Super Bowls and during the glory years and knowing the history and growing up in Section 519 of RFK Stadium. So, uh, but listen, to, to, to do the Bullets and the Wizards like I did, that was a blessing. And, uh, and, and I think there's something to be said for a, a guy that grew up in the city that's doing the play-by-play of, of his team. I mean, you can, you can tell it in their, in their uh, delivery. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not to disparage the, the current broadcast, but the, right. that there is a very clear stylistic difference um, when, when someone doesn't have, you know, the institutional knowledge to talk about some of these guys and, and how it yeah, ties back to other teams. Dustin does a nice job. He he studies the history of the team and he he's smart and he knows um he know I think he's learned the history of the team. He didn't grow up here, but he knows enough about it. But but there is something to be said for being able to, you know, relay experiences yeah. that you've had with other players and the fact that I watched Phil Chenier come out mm-hmm. of college and interacted with him and refereed in the summer league that he was in and just things like that, you know, just there's something to be said for that. Even just doing this podcast with Larry, like uh, there were times where I would remember something about a game he played in that he didn't even remember. Cause it's just, yeah. I, I had some, you know, additional stake in, in the outcome of that, you know, that game. Uh, you touched on something there that I don't think a lot of people realize too. And it is, like you guys were NBC employees, and I think people think of that as its own separate entity. But there, there is a lot of overlap between uh, the TV broadcasts and the Wizards as an organization. And you talk about having, you know, conversations and getting feedback from from the GM or the team president and and the team press relations and, and stuff like that. Can, can you talk about that kind of a little bit? Well, you know, now the owner owns part of NBC Sports Washington, where he right. didn't before. Um, and when I first came on board, uh, Ted had a had a minority stake in the team that obviously Abe and Poland had the majority of. Um, so there wasn't as much of that probably said. But now that he owns a stake in the team, I'm sure he has. Well, I'm not sure. I'm positive that he and Zach have some say in it because they had some say in me departing. Right. Um, so, um, um, but there, there's a lot of overlap. Um, listen, back in the day, 
I'll tell you an instance that, you know, and again, when we were home team sports and that was actually affiliated with CBS, but Mm. wasn't, I don't, I don't know how much CBS owned of that, but uh, at the end of a a game, I remember signing off and saying that the, you know, the bullets or the wizards, because they changed the very first year that I came, um, you know, had a, a game coming up and meantime, the Redskins were in the playoffs. And I said, uh, and, and good luck tomorrow to the Redskins. The next day I heard from the PR department, don't mention the Redskins. Interesting. Because Mr. Poland and Mr. Cook weren't, were adversaries. Got it. Okay. There was no cross promotion of any <laughs> kind. Look at it now. Yeah. Not only is there cross promotion, but we have Redskin and Washington football team shows, commander shows mm-hmm. on there all over the place. So now there's tremendous overlap and cross. Now that you want to cross promote, we never did that before. So the fact that it's owned by NBC, uh, no doubt, uh, you know, now, now, and it's interesting for me to watch because I pick up on things that I don't think other people notice just from having been involved in the broadcast, but, you know, clearly you, you see them promoting the Olympics now, mm-hmm. you know, and that's obvious it's NBC, sure. uh, but we might not have done that in the past. And certainly if we weren't NBC, we wouldn't be promoting yep. the Olympics or some other sport. Uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't promote the caps a whole lot, but the more, the more cross promotion there is, the more you see that look back in the day, a, a, a broadcaster would never be on somebody else's network. Mm-hmm. You never see what you see today. It's all over you never, now. Yeah. You never see James Brown who was on Fox and is now on CBS be on HBO. Right. They wouldn't allow it. Uh, which which makes what happened with us back in 1988, and I've tweeted out this picture, which got a lot of response, which makes that more incredible, which was in 1988 when we were covering the Redskins in the Super Bowl in San Diego. We had a show called Redskins Playbook. It was on every Monday, and it was a great show because it was live, so we could talk about the game that had just, you know, was still fresh in everybody's minds. We'd have two journalists come in to the, st- to the studio mm-hmm. and a player. And the players were, you know, they'd come down. We put send a limo for them and give them a pair of sunglasses or some boots or something. Yeah. Plus, I had a relationship with a lot of these guys, and they would come down and be on the show. And it was fabulous. So we'd have we could have Kornheiser and Will Bond or Mo Siegel or Len Shapiro or whoever, you know, the writer happened to be, the writers and the player. And we could have this conversation and and the writers could actually ask these guys. And it was fabulous television. Yeah, that's well, really cool. You know, our producer, our executive director, Ernie Bauer, you know, who used to work at Channel 9 with Warner Wolf and Glenn mm-hmm. Brenner. We, you know, we we were like, you know, hey, I wonder if we could get the other sports guys together and have them on our playbook show. Now, again, there was n- you never saw uh, broadcasters be on somebody else's air. It was probably in their contracts that they couldn't. Probably. And it was verboten. I mean, news directors yeah. wouldn't allow it somehow. And I had a good relationship with all the guys. I asked Glenn and I asked George Michael and I asked Frank Herzog and damn if somehow their news directors said, okay. Awesome. So we did had two different shows. One was in the studio at channel five and one where the picture was taken was on the set on the makeshift set. We had it outside the team hotel at the Hyatt Islandia in San Diego in 1988 of the four of us, Glenn, George, me, and Frank doing our Redskin playbook show live for a half an hour. And I got to tell you that you could have done, we could have done two hours of live TV 
it was such good stuff that Very compelling. I yeah. the day say to me, man, I remember that. It was the best television I've ever seen because you had Glenn, who was the funniest man I've ever met on TV, and George and Frank and all the history. But the stuff that took place live on the air was just, it was hysterical. It was must-see TV. And um, so for those guys to come on, that was a real coup for us. Mm-hmm. I, I, to this day, I don't know how the news directors all let them do it. But it was just great television. It was marvelous stuff. And, um, you know, I, I treasure those memories. And I'm glad I have that picture to share with people. It's a real like rising tide lifts all ships kind of thing, right? If we all have good cross promotion, maybe you're bringing in more audience as opposed to losing some share of the market to somebody else. Well, that's right? what happens in this day and age. Yeah. And listen, that happened to me in, um, in 96 uh, when the Bullets were in the playoffs against Michael Jordan and those guys. And, and it was a mm-hmm. three game playoff and they swept the bullets. But if you remember afterwards, MJ came out and said, talking about Jawan and Chris Weber, he said, this team's going to be good. This is a team of the future. Well, she were right. Yeah, no kidding. All right. So that playoff situation, the first two games were in Chicago and the first game was on channel 50. Okay. And, and I was now finishing out this, that season after Mel Proctor had left. Me and Dave Johnson were doing a bunch of games. So they had me pegged to do those playoff games. The first game, which was on Channel 50. The second game was an NBC game, so we didn't do it. And then the third game was back at Capital Center, and I would have done that game. So I do the game on Channel 50. You know, my news director knew that I was doing the game on Channel 50, but nevertheless... And then the second game's on NBC, and I, you know, nobody does. And then the third game comes to Capital Center. So I'm, I'll never forget where I was. I was washing my car in my driveway because this was already April. Yeah. And I get a call from my news director, and she says, I can't let you do the game on, at Cap Center. I said, why not? She said, well, the game's on Channel 50, and we can't have our sports guy being on. See, this, this is a great illustration yeah. wow. of how – these news directors back in the day, and I'm not, I'm not faulting them, but this was the mindset back in the day. Sure. They couldn't see the forest for the trees. Yep. So they were like, no, I, I, you know, we've, we, we, uh, you know, Fox has said they don't want their sports guy um, on um, another station. Hmm. Now, how mindless is that? Yeah, not only did they not want me to be on another station, they wouldn't let me go to the Capitol center to cover the game. Oh because God. they didn't want people at the Capitol Center seeing me and saying, how come you're not doing the mm-hmm. game? Well, if you go back and Google this, you'll find the article uh, that Len Shapiro wrote in the Washington Post. It's called, the headlines was, Buckhance Unplugged. Oh and he God. wrote this awesome article cool. about how they weren't going to let me do the game. And that they try, he tried to contact the GM and they wouldn't comment or wouldn't return his call or whatever. And it was a fabulous article in my my estimation. But the point is, they didn't they didn't understand that. So what they did was they had me in the studio doing the sports during the game that was airing on Channel 50, which clearly was the ratings dominant that night. Sure. Here I am doing four minutes of sports, where as their sportscaster, their sports director could have been showcased for two and a half hours, albeit on another station, but showcased 
for the game that everybody was watching. Yep. All right. And so rather than do that, they, they wouldn't have me on there. And they didn't understand that people would not have looked at that and said, oh, wait a minute, what's the Channel 5 guy doing on Channel 50? People don't think that way. Huh. They would have just thought, well, there's Buck. He's, he's doing the game. Yeah. They don't know that it's on another station. Yeah. And so that shows you how back then nobody, but now it's all changed. You know, if I were picked by um, another ne- network or certainly Fox to do an NFL game, which I did three of them when mm-hmm. I was at Channel 5, that's great promotion for the station. Yeah, you, back, would, you would think that that generates more business for them. Absolutely. It's just to your point. It, 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 all that cross promotion is good for the image. It's not bad for it. Even if you're on another station, people don't associate you with that station. Mm-hmm. They associate you with who you are and who you work for. Yeah. The team and the product and the things that you're, you know, they're used to seeing you talk about uh, that. Absolutely. That's crazy to me. I, I'm trying to picture how that would play out in like the social media age and how much grief they would take for a decision like that. God, I wish we could have had it back then. It would have gone crazy. But back then, all you had was the newspaper. And yeah. that's it. You didn't have any social media. Uh, very cool. I, I I love stories like that so much. And I'm, I'm sure other people will, will really get a kick out of that, too. I, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I do want to ask a little bit about the Bradley Beal situation. Ideally, you know, there's so much sort of back and forth. People have different opinions. Should they trade him? Should they keep him? Should they tank? Should they rebuild? Should they get a star around him? Uh, as somebody who's seen you know this play out over the last however many years, like what do you think is the best path for them? And then I guess what do you think is probably the most likely path for them if if they're potentially different? Well, I know I uh, there are some fans that have a, a different idea and philosophy and long term goal than than I do. I I hate tanking. I would never. Yeah. I, I I I just don't like that. I mean, I want to see a team. Because I think our team is good enough to win. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean they'll make the playoffs? Maybe not. They've you know they've lost a bunch of games that they could have won, but that happens every year. Sure. Um, so I, I hate tanking. I hate the word. I hate to see it. Um, you know, uh, in terms of Brad, um, I, you know, I'm not really sure what's in his head now. I know he's been a very loyal guy. He, you know, his whole family's been around here. I've met you know his brothers. Uh, he's a good kid. He's a good dude. I like him a lot. Um, and he's a great player. I still think he's a great player. I really do. So I, you know, and and listen, they were going to build around him and John wall and then John left. And that was that. I still think you can build around Bradley. And I think, I think that's what's in Tommy's head right now is to bring in a guy like Porzingis. And now you got two, legitimate stars on the team and you got enough other good players to, to be good. Um, so I'm hoping that, that he stays. Um, but again, I don't know what's in his head because he's made enough money. And of course, with his next contract, forget about the next contract, he's made enough money where him and his family are set for life. Generational wealth already. I mean, come on, if you can't, you know, if you can't set your family for life with the money these guys make, there's something, then you're buying too many nice things. You better put some of that away and not, you know, you know, fritter it away. But, uh, but especially with this next deal, he's going to sign. Good Lord. So the question is, does he want to remain loyal, which he says he has been. And of course he has been and stay with this team. And does he have the confidence in Tommy to get the players 
to make it all work and to win it, uh, you know, to compete for a title or, you know, has he been in the league long enough now to, to, you know, as LeBron said, take his talent somewhere else and try to be on a team that legitimately, you know, has a shot at winning, but look, there are guys that move around and they never, and they haven't looked at James Harden, you know, and he's running around and trying to find the right fit when he went yeah, to the, no guarantee Nets. it works. Yeah. Now they got a super team. Now they can't be beat. Right. Well, what happened? So you just never know what's going to happen, but I just don't know how long uh, a, a, a professional athlete who is a competitor like Bradley Beal can take it. You know, I mean, at some point he's got to say, I, I, I need to be somewhere where I got a legitimate chance to win, but maybe he feels they can do that next year. I don't know. I just want a fun team to root for, to be honest with you. And I know some fans feel very differently. It has to be build a championship contender or bust. But for me as a sports fan, I have never enjoyed a team more than, you know, the year the wizards with Gilbert arenas were like number two going into the all-star break before all the injuries. Like I didn't think that team was going to win a championship, but that was just like in a very enjoyable Brandon basketball group of personalities. I really thought that that's what we were going to have with this year's team. Like they were entertaining to listen to. They started off so strong, you know, somewhere along the the way it went kind of terribly wrong, I guess, uh, you know, when you see the Clippers game and things like that. But for me, if, if they can build a team around Brad, that is competitive, they don't have to be a contender, but just give us something to actually look forward to. And you know, maybe you luck your way into an Eastern Conference Finals or one of those things. I, I think I would be content with that. I don't, I don't know how you feel about that as a ceiling. Yeah, no, well, yes and no. I mean, I listen. A, a few years ago, when John Wall was here, um, we were one win away from the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. You know, against Boston, that was that was unbelievable. That Game Seven. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. That was a fun team. Um, I'm like you in the fact that if the team is so bad or unproductive, let's put it that way, that they're not competitive. And our teams have been pretty competitive. You know, there are games where we don't play well, but they can be a competitive group. But I look at the football team, you know, there were some years where they were so bad that I didn't even want to watch them. Now to not want to watch a game, that's a serious, (laughs) to want to go mow your lawn instead of watching a football game on Sunday is a real problem. And I feel that way really about every Wizards game. You know, I think they have a chance to win every game, um, depending on how they play. So I want, I, I'm like you, I, I, I want to see a competitive team. Now, having said that, if you're a competitive team, then I think you give yourself a chance to be one of the top eight teams in the league. And now with the play-in, you know, you can even be one of the top 10 teams and get a chance at it. So, um, but but I, listen, I did the games for so long and I did so many games, I never actually counted up how many games I did, but, you know, I had to be a couple thousand games. Thousands, I, yeah. um, I, you know, I, I got to the point where I wanted to have a team that I thought would be competitive enough to be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I really felt like, you know, and then, but listen, we, we have those goals and desires for every one of our sports, yep. nationals, capitals, football team, wizards, whoever it happens to be. We go into each season and we say, all right, maybe, maybe this is the year, you know? I mean, how many years have we done that with the football team? No, every yeah. year we do that. It's tough. Every year we do that and every year they disappoint us. Um, but we continue to do that. And we're going to do that next year. If we can, you know, whether we have Heineke or, or another quarterback, we're going to do that next year. We're going to, we're going to find something 
that leads us to believe that there's a reason to be optimistic. And this mm-hmm. year with the Wizards, whether they make the playoffs or not, uh, next year, if Brad is here, it's going to be, well, we got Porzingis and we got Brad and we got Kuzma and we got all these really good players. There's no reason why we can't be competitive That's and true. be in the playoffs, be one of the top eight teams. To not be one of the top eight teams, to me, is real disappointing. Yeah, I, mean, I wholeheartedly agree. Now, having said that, look at the East. It's stacked. much parity now. It's, yeah. it's great. Mm-hmm. Teams are pretty good. With the exception of Detroit and maybe the Knicks and a few other teams. Orlando, you know? yeah. Yeah, Orlando. I mean, there's some decent teams. But I so I, I like a competitive team, but I, I kind of expect them to to get into the playoffs. And when they don't, then that then it's a disappointing season. I do worry a little bit. I'm a big believer in like a lot of times history repeats itself around here. We just see some of the same teams play out. And we obviously gave Gilbert that big contract right after the knee surgery that didn't end up working out so well. We had a sports medicine physician on the show a couple of weeks ago. So for anybody who hasn't caught up on that episode yet, it's worth doing and talked about how this surgery that Brad's going to have is sort of a non-trivial matter. Like it's a complicated surgery. There's a lot of bones in your hand uh, and, and not everybody that has that regains sort of full function and mobility. Does that worry you at all uh, about giving him a $250 million deal after a surgery, having not had the opportunity to see him play prior to, to that? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I'm not sure you're asking the right guy. I mean, of course, it worries me a little bit for any player who's had a wrist or a knee, especially a knee or maybe an Achilles or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um that always, that you know, that's always in the back of your head, and you just never know how a guy's going to respond. You really don't. Uh, but sometimes, you know, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you yeah. don't. You know, I mean, I saw this even with Rod Strickland. You know, when a player plays a good season, um, if you want to keep him, then you got to pay him. Yeah. Otherwise, he's going to go somewhere else where somebody's going to pay him. Mm-hmm. All right. So we gave Bertans all that money because we we saw this guy was like. This guy's unbelievable, man. He he's catch and shoot like Steph Curry. He's unreal. And then, you know, he's not that, you know, he's a little inconsistent. He's not playing defense, whatever. But you you paid him the money. Uh, and like I said, you know, some of these players, they end up getting that money, whether they can live up to it or not. And if you're an owner, you got to make that decision. Do you do you pay him? Or do you take the chance on him leaving and going somewhere else, and you maybe you've missed out? It's there's a there's a risk factor involved there, no doubt. And there's always a belief amongst fans here, I think, that whenever someone leaves to go elsewhere, they end up playing better than when they were well, here. That's that's the curse of Le Boulet. I mean, yep. come on, look at yep. look at all the great players we had here that went away. Uh, but that's okay, you know we. Uh, you know, we've had some good teams, and I was fortunate enough back in my younger days to cover the championship in 77, 78, and that was a blast. And um, uh, and I got to see a lot of great players along the way, including the greatest player of all time. So I can't complain. Last one, I'll get you out of here. Heard you call some games this year, some James Madison games. Where else can people catch you? Anything else you have going on that you want to plug for people? You know, I've been doing um, some radio in the morning with Don Geronimo on Big 100. Uh, for the last few months, we've done radio uh, on Fridays and Mondays, sort of looking ahead of the weekend and then critiquing what happened over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that may or may not continue. We initially talked about doing it through the Super Bowl, but 
you know, that may, may, may continue for one, one day a week or two. Uh, that's like around eight o'clock in the morning on, on big 100. And he's, he's a great professional and, uh, remember his days with Don and Mike back here in the years ago, and he's got a show again and it gets good ratings and he's really a great uh, talent. So I enjoy, and I've known him for a long, long time. So I enjoy doing that, having that interaction with him. But other than that, yeah, the, the JMU games, I did four or five of their football games. I've done four or five of their basketball games. I've got another one of their games coming up on February 26th when they host Towson, which may be almost the last regular season game of the year. And of course they, they can't compete in the CAA tournament because of their situation going to the next level. Uh, so it's been fun uh, doing their games and going back down there to Harrisonburg and, you know, seeing the some old friends and doing their games. It's been a lot of fun. And that's pretty much it uh, lately. I didn't do any uh, Fox games this year for basketball, which I, I did a number of games last year. But uh, just, you know, keeping involved and doing a few things. And, uh, and it's just a lot of fun. But not the day-to-day grind of doing 82 games. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. I, I was trying to go to every game, you know, earlier in the year before COVID kind of spiked again. And just just being in the building part time, you know, for 41 home games is it takes a toll uh, during the course of the year, too. Yeah. Steve, this has been terrific. I'm sure everybody will love this. If you ever, you know, want to vent about the Wizards or, or get anything off your chest about the team, you are welcome back. I can go there. Anytime. That's good. I appreciate that, Matt. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me. Keep up the great work. All right, let's just take a quick time out from the show to hear from NordVPN, one of our sponsors. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you are online. And with all the threats that you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all of your devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either. And plans start at just under $4 per month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com believe or use the code believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. All right, with that, let's get back to the action. All right, I'm really pleased to welcome in my friend Vinny Hardy. Vinny is the host of Believe in Kentucky. Vinny, everybody here in Washington seems to have sort of latched on to the idea of Ty Ty Washington as a future Wizards point guard. I guess maybe we had such good luck with our last Kentucky point guard that, you know, people are ready for the next one. Uh, first, thank you for coming on. And second of all, we just want to talk a little Ty Ty Washington today, today with you. Oh man, Matt, appreciate you having me, man. Good to be on. You like I said, you're the first ever guest in the history of believing Kentucky. So I always appreciate that and, and yeah, happy cool. to be here on Believing Wizards, man. Uh yeah, absolutely. I I you're a true hoop junkie here like myself. So I thought we could have a really good conversation for folks about, you know, what Tai Tai is actually good at and what he's not good at and and kind of give a more complete picture of of him as a player. So for anyone who's not familiar, Ty Ty Washington is a six foot three freshman guard at the University of Kentucky. Uh, he'll be 21 and a half or 20 and a half on draft night. So far this year, he's averaging 12.8 points, 3.8 rebounds, four assists, a little over a steal a game, shooting 40, uh, 34 and a half percent from three, 74% from the free throw line, relatively low turnovers. I guess, Vinny, just to start us off, what what do Kentucky fans think about uh, Ty Ty Washington? What do you think about Ty Ty? Like, 
give us your sense for him as a player. Everybody here uh, really loves Tata. Really appreciates what he's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're coming off of literally the worst season in our lifetime. You had to go back a hundred years to find a season as bad as last year. It was you no, know, it was COVID. Everybody had COVID, but it just didn't come together. A lot of that. Well, there was a lot of problems with the roster, period. But a lot of it could be pinned on point guard play. You know, no disrespect to Devin Askew at, at Texas, but it didn't really. He wasn't ready for you know, and he he you know he reclassed. He wasn't ready. So Tata comes in. You know, in addition to a lot of the uh, home runs in the transfer portal, but he's he's made a big impact uh, as far as as good as they are offensively. As far as a guy that gets his own shot, Tata is pretty much the only guy on the roster to kind of create his own from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very efficient, uh, a really good college team. As far as Cal goes, it's not a lot of you know lottery picks on this team, which is sure. different. Not a lot of freshmen on this team, which is different. A lot of older guys, veteran guys. But as far as getting his own shot uh, and creating, Tata is, is the guy. The offense is kind of different when he's not in there from that standpoint. So he's played a good amount off ball this year as well. And and I guess part of the question I have is, is that solely because Severe Wheeler can't play off ball as well and, and needs to be the point guard and Ty Ty is more equipped to play off ball? Or is it Ty Ty is better as sort of an off ball player? So I guess the question boiled down is, could he be a true point guard for an NBA team? Or do you think he's better suited as like a combo? I think he could do the point. He might be more natural as a combo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's moved to the point when Severe Wheeler went out. He was the the on the wrong end of a couple of back screens, picking yeah. up guys half court and had a neck injury that put him out. So Tata had to move over and play the point. Um, he can score. As far as like being a, a sharpshooter, I wouldn't say he's you know you know Steph Curry, but he he can score. He's very adequate scoring. Yeah. Uh, he's adequate running the offense, and he got a little bit better once he did that for a few games. So it's kind of good for him to get that under his belt. He's like you said, he'll be twenty and a half on on draft day, but he's he's not like old man at the Y, but he's wise beyond his years the way he mm-hmm. plays. He's he's really poised. You can't speed him up. He gets to his spots. He's got a, a methodical kind of nature to his game where you. You can't fluster him from that standpoint. He plays a lot older than he really does. He plays a lot more experienced um, than you would think for a freshman coming in. So, um, and he's re- he's quiet too. <clears throat> a lot of these games, you look up and and he'll have eighteen or twenty. And whoa, how do you do he, that? And, and he stuffed the stat sheet, and and you, and it's not like it's in garbage time. It's in impactful moments, but he just kind of quietly, stealthily handles his business. I think people that aren't watching like full Kentucky games and just seeing him, you know, in highlight packages, see some really impressive passes. He's great in the pick and roll, it seems like. But he's not doing that like a ton, right? I think a lot of those highlight reels are the cherry picked, you know, here are the the best ones. But I guess breaking his role down a little bit more here he does seem to be the guy that they rely on to go, Hey, get us 15 points, or we need a clutch basket from the perimeter. 
Whereas he, he, he isn't really just like the prototypical floor general. I think everybody that you know, might kind of might think he is from the highlight reel. Let me say this though. in when, <laughs> cause it'd be, I'd be remiss not to say it. It'd be a, a huge gap if I didn't. When, when Severe Wheeler was out and he mm-hmm. did move over to point guard, yeah. all he did was set the school record for assist in a game okay. with 17 and he broke the aforementioned John Wall's record in doing so. So, he can he can dish the rock, he can distribute. And like I said, it was good for him to get that under his belt. So I'd I'd be remiss not to tell Wizards fans oh, that that's great. even though they didn't see that he he set the school record that John Wall had, you know, from twenty ten and with seventeen dimes, filling in for severe. That's a pretty good company to be in for somebody that hasn't been asked to do that all season. So that that's actually great, um great insight because you know, I, I have watched more. Actually, I don't think I've watched a game where Severe didn't play unless, uh, you know, he got taken out in the last minute because Sheboy didn't call call screen out for him. But And Severe, Severe transferred in from Georgia. And mm-hmm. let's be honest, Georgia was trash. Yep. Severe led the SEC in assist on that Georgia team. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty much a foregone conclusion. You put him around a lot better finishers and on a lot better team. Severe is leading the assist. The league and assist again this year. He's gonna. He's. Gonna, I mean, he's a assist and a half better than second place, and so Tata stepped over and and did that in Severe's absence. So yeah, I mean that that's awesome for a kid that's probably been used to having the ball in his hands pretty much his entire life. But I would imagine that he's actually been okay playing that more off guard role. So I think that says a lot about you know him as a teammate and his character. I do have a little bit of concern about his jump shot, like the motion looks pretty consistent every time, but it is a little funky. Like it's kind of far out in front of his face. His left elbow is a little weird. I, I don't, I can't get more technical than a little weird. You just kind of have to see it. It, it almost looks like sort of a, like more of a push shot, but he is shooting a pretty good percentage this year. So I guess for somebody that sees him every game, how do you feel about the shooting and his ability to kind of move three or four feet back to the NBA line? feel pretty good about it. And He's got a nice float game too. Yeah, floater is amazing. Trees, um, and a lot of how he, how Kentucky goes has been affected by how he's gone. I mean, they're twenty-one and four, which you know on the surface, oh, that's great. Yo, Kentucky's back to being Kentucky. They lost to Duke in the first game. They lost to Notre Dame. They lost those fair and square. They, you know, Duke was just a little bit better. They came up short. Notre Dame, they just they didn't play good at all. Nobody did. The other two losses at Auburn and at LSU came when Kentucky was in control, had a 9-10 point lead. Tata Washington cramps up in the uh, LSU game. Severe Wheeler gets the first of his screens to the back of the head. So you lose your entire backcourt in the second half. You're up nine. Offense stalls. You can't hang on and win. Maybe LSU comes back, but Pretty safe to say Kentucky wins that game if Ty-Ty and Severe are healthy. It was a carbon copy at Auburn. Uh, Severe took another screen that wasn't called out loud enough. Ty-Ty injures his ankle on a floater. They had singled him up, switched him up on Auburn's big man, Walker Kessler, penetrated, hit a floater over him. I think they're fixing to just milk that for the entire game until Auburn tried to come up with a way to stop it. He rolls his ankle. So he's out. They're up 10 again at Auburn. The arena is quiet because Kentucky's in control. And 
you lose your backcourt, <laughs> the impact is felt again. So um losing him both games, they could easily be they could easily be twenty three and two because you you can't put asterisks by those losses, yeah, but, but they, they, you're to your, to your point. They were going, they seemed poised to win that game. Auburn yeah. may be a different story, but the LSU game definitely. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, it was 17, seven. As soon as the game started at Auburn and mm-hmm. you know, they, and the committee kind of, you know, factors that stuff in when it comes to seating, you know, that's what they, they try to do. So he, his impact is, can be measured and quantified in that as well. You know, when, when they haven't had him and we might not have him tonight. He, Got rolled again against Florida Saturday. Dive after a loose ball, the kid from Florida kind of hits him in his knee and and rolls him up. Uh, they play tonight again at Tennessee at nine. I'm, I mean, I'm, we don't know because Cal's kind of keeps that close to the vest, but I don't expect him to play tonight because you know March is more important than you know, beating Tennessee yeah. tonight. But you know his his impact is been felt when he's not in the lineup as well. So it's it's like I said, it's not just him getting window dressing type stuff, but he's um but from deep I think he could. His his, his three is a little bit funky, he's a little bit wonky. I know I'm getting long winded oh, on your question. This is all this is what we wanted to hear firsthand from from somebody who's seen a lot of them. But I, I think he could he could step out and and uh and add to it, you know, as as far as you know the NBA distance and you know getting his own shot and all that. I think he'd be fine. I don't know. They may tweak his shot up there at the next level. They're more like, you know, at Kentucky, if, as long as it goes straight, they don't mess with the motion. As long as, because Kellen Grady's kind of got the little sideways Kenny Smith yeah. tornado rotation mm-hmm. on his jumper. But, but they, they don't really mess. With, yeah. yeah. As long as it's online, they don't mess with, with all of that. So um, they might try to reconstruct it if, if the Wizards get him. Just depends on, I mean, you know, Six to the Kings, eleven to the Knicks, then seven to the Pacers. It's just a lot of different areas right now. But like you said, right in that lottery range where you project that the Wizards could be. So one of the things that I think would worry folks typically is he's not maybe the most like explosive athlete, especially by Kentucky guard standards. You know, he's not um tomahawk dunking on anybody from you know outside the block, but he's crafty, like you said, and the floater is really impressive. You've got one of probably the best shot blocker in college basketball uh, in the SEC in Walker Kessler. Yep. And Ty Ty didn't seem bothered by getting the ball up over him. If you can get it over Kessler, you, you're probably getting it over pretty much every NBA center for the most part as well. You're not, you're right. You're not gonna, you're not gonna have visions of a John Wall or a De'Aaron Fox mm-hmm. when you see Ty Ty. Um, I've seen some of the mock drafts, and I like this comp too. <clears throat> Brandon Knight comes to mind, yep. who was the point guard in Cal's second season after John Wall on that 2011 team. Uh, combo can do it all. He can shoot the three. He's not going to blow by you. He just methodically does what he does. Uh, I see a lot of similarities in, in Brandon Knight's game and Tata. And, and Knight was doing well in the NBA as well. Only everybody only remembers him now for getting dunked on by DeAndre Jordan, but he was <laughs> he's still still a solid dude in the league and and a, a real real fundamentally sound smart player. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was great. He just couldn't couldn't unfortunately stay healthy after like year four or five. Yeah. Uh, how's Ty Ty's defense overall? Could he be like a strong point of attack defender? Again, we we said he's not the most athletic. I don't know if he's maybe even the most quick, 
does have really long arms. It seems like I heard he had like a six, six, nine wingspan somewhere in that, that ballpark. So what's he like as a defender or could he be a good NBA defender at least? I mean, he could, he could be solid. He could hold his own. I don't, I don't think it'd be ever, you know, like GP or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Tennessee, who they're playing tonight, the, the point guard who was kind of ranked right there below Tata, Kennedy Chandler, hmm. uh, who had a solid game against Kentucky and Lexington. They started out with Minton Wheeler on him. They put Tata on him, who, who did a good job on him head up. So it's it's like he's, he's not overwhelming anybody with athleticism, but he you know knows how to play the angles, knows how to anticipate, things like that, um, to where he should be okay defensively. I don't think there'll be – you know, saying he's a huge liability or just clearing it out for him every single time where it just just like he's just a a problem or an issue at the next level. We've seen some particularly bad defensive point guards here in Washington the last couple of years, unfortunately. So I think if he's just like average, we would consider that a pretty big upgrade. And I, I think from what I've seen, he's definitely got the tools to be, you know, solid. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, any sense for you know, the off-court stuff. Is he a good teammate? Is he a good kid? Like those kinds of things. Not that a 20-year-old is a kid, but you know what I mean? Like, is he is he well-liked as a person amongst teammates and, and people in the community? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a, a gym rat. Um, you know, he comes from a good family out in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, his, his dad's really cool. His, you know, everybody was up in arms about the play he got injured on against Florida Saturday. And they were booing the kid every time he touched the ball when Florida had the ball, that kind of thing. And, you know, his dad comes out and said, that was not a dirty play. That was just good hustle and, and things like that. So it's it's not like he was jaded, like, oh, my my, my kid got hurt, that standpoint. Um, this whole team is is really likable, a bunch of good personalities. Uh, last year was kind of disconnected. Nobody sure. got to know him, and, and you know, it, it just never clicked. But – Everybody, which which Oscar Sheboy is beloved. I mean, he can do no wrong. Everybody loves him to death. But but Ty Ty and all the rest of the guys are are good kids too. Uh, good personalities. They all get together as a team. The chemistry is there, uh, which that's not always. It's you know tough. that. I mean, yeah, competing <laughs> priorities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We definitely yeah. know that here. And, uh, but yeah, it's 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 what Kentucky fans needed. After last year, uh, we are rabid and passionate, and everybody consumes and nitpicks every single thing. But this is this is a healing to all the wounds from last year. So uh, a deep March run is going to be great. Everybody is hoping for banner number nine to be hung in Rupp Arena. But and they're poised; they have a good they shot. Got a great shot to yeah. do it. But uh, they've already undid a lot of last year's woes at this point already. And they've been a really fun team to watch and he's been a fun player to watch. Like I said, I, I do have like a few, I, I wouldn't say concerns, but question marks, you know, and I, I think that's fair of anybody, especially yeah. once you get into like, you know, the later part of the lottery. Uh, but just looking at the other SEC point cards, like I, I think from what I've seen, he's clearly a better prospect than Kennedy Chandler, who seems too small to me. Uh, JD Davison's could be somebody, you know, that, that maybe has similar upside, but also a much lower floor, in my opinion, seems a little more raw, but he is such an incredible athlete that, you know, somebody might take a chance on him and and have him pan out. But in your opinion, 
of the freshman point guards and things like that, that you've seen, I mean, is he clearly the top guy? I'd have to say so. I mean, try not to be biased, but it's, you know, as long as he's healthy, uh, he's, he's as good as anybody. And, and as a team, they can play with anybody. They've proven that, you know, so as, as long as he's good to go and healthy, uh, you know, he's not going to be perfect and have everything, sure. every box checked, but you gotta, he's, and you look at the, look at the track record for the Kentucky guys yep. at the next level, um, how they grow and develop, even though Cal just rolls the balls out. That's what everybody says. <laughs> yeah. Funny how that works, right? Every one of those guys, not everyone, but for the most part, they're all, you know, really good NBA players, not even just like, okay, but like good ones. Uh, so he, he's got to have something to do with that. I would think. And just keep an eye out. You guys are an M- NBA fans. You, you've seen Obi topping with the Knicks. What? Keep an eye out for Jacob here yeah. at Kentucky. His little brother transferred in from Rhode Island. His offensive game is, is bubbling below the surface. You can see the, pieces to the puzzle starting to fit together for him so if y'all watch Kentucky and, and Toppins in there just watch him stuff is look right now he's still a fourth option and there's still some he's open for a reason moments but he's hit a couple threes in his last couple games you like, okay and he's he's taking it to the rim he's working on the mid-range he's athletic as all get out just I mean he, Runs he's the got the topping gene yeah. yeah so you can just see it coming I keep tweeting about this like every other game look I said this last game when he puts it all together when the light bulb goes off watch out for Mr. Topping over here and he's it's a kind of a two-headed monster at the four spot with him and Keon Brooks but as balanced as they already are, if he really kind of gets it rolling, there'll be that much more of a problem for opposing teams to try to defend everybody because they're so balanced. He's a guy that I could see getting into workouts and, you know, pre-camp, pre-NBA draft with teams and then being like so wowed that somebody convinces him to leave and take a shot on him or something like that. Because like you said, it's just hard to find athletes of that caliber. My guest last week, Angelo Carriero, he was at ESPN Radio in Lexington, was talking with him, I think, over the summer. He mm-hmm. was like, why didn't you – why did you come back? Surprised you came back? Why, and and Jacob kind of – he didn't get upset, but he got real serious when he answered the question. He said – because they're like, you're such a freak, freak athlete and blah, 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 and your brother. He's like, it's not all about athleticism in the NBA anymore. He says, change. It's all a lot more about skill. I knew I needed to come back and refine the skill aspects of my game. So this is what this kid is, yeah, is gets formulating. It. So, <laughs> man, so that was that was good to hear for Kentucky fans, but also for the his outlook on what mm-hmm. he needs to do if he's going to do more than just have a cup of coffee in the NBA. Speaking of a kid who has said similar things so far, Shaden Sharp, who is a – a uh, reclassified player out of Canada to come in to the Kentucky program kind of middle of the year here and is eligible to play. Although they have said he will not play this season. He's a projected probably top 10 pick just to be safe, maybe even top five, but he and the fam- family maintain that they are going to come back to Kentucky next year. And he intends to play at least one season in Lexington at uh, one what do you know about Shaden? Have you guys gotten to see anything of him in practices or anything like that? You know, clips that come out. And two, do you buy that he'll actually stick around and, and pass up a lottery? Those were for the past two or three months, <laughs> the most 
popular words in the yeah. state of Kentucky. Yeah. If you if you Google search what it, what do Kentuckians Google, probably Shaden Sharp would have been at the top of the list. Oh, um, and it's all because, like I told you, our, our fan base is crazy. Cal says that you people are crazy. As good as everything is, got to have something to obsess about. Well, Shaden's 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 here. Is he gonna play? Is he gonna play in this game? Is he gonna play if we're up twenty? We're gonna play him on the road, or should have him make his debut at home? This has been the yeah. I haven't even really worried about it. I, I mean, if look, it's, it's gonna play out. There's no need to like. Why are we getting so so speculative? But he is, you know, the number one player in the country, and he's just on your bench. Uh, every time Ty Ty or, or Severe Willie gets nicked up, oh well, maybe, you know, maybe <laughs> <laughs> he might change his mind. <laughs> he, um, his people, you know, his family and everything, um, had the same mentor and that Shea Gilders Alexander had. Shea is from Canada as well, and they're pretty much dead set on that. He's just going to practice and get better, and he's looking at going to the league and staying and not just, you know, being a top pick that washes out and by all, everything you hear is going to come back next year. I kind of – I'm taking them at their word. Maybe, I mean, if they up and decide not to come back, I'm I'm not going to be mad. I mean, you're, sure. you're a lottery pick. Sure, you didn't end up playing for Kentucky. There will be a lot of Kentucky fans that are you're pissed off that, well, you just used us to get to the league. I'm not, I'm not worried about any of that. You know, um, it'll just kind of be, in my opinion, like the Ennis Cantor deal. Ennis mm-hmm. wasn't able to get eligible. He's still a wildcat, and he, you know, he went on and is doing his thing in the league. Um, but you know, crazy athletic. Um, a lot of, you know, everybody just says throw him out there and play. But there's so much more to it. How do you play pick and rolls? How do you defend? How do you do? It's even though it looks like you're just playing ball. There's a lot of intricate things mm-hmm. that we as fans just. How do you fit with other two, two other guards? Right, you're athletic, you're a five star. Get out there, and it's, mm-hmm. and then if he looked bad, he'd get eaten alive for that. Well, he's terrible. He's not worth the hype. Right. So you know, um, I, you know, call me crazy, but I think he'll he'll come back next year, like you said. Um, and I'm just kind of leaving it at that. I'm not like riding the roller coaster with it. Better for your mental part. health to not obsess exactly. over that one. I'm with you. <laughs> exactly. And if he leaves, he leaves. If he's back, you know, he'll be part of a, a – and a lot of these guys could come back. I mean, Shibway might be back. I mean, a lot of these – so he'll be part of another good nucleus for next year. But if not, you know, wish him the best if he moves on to the league. Mention another guy that has a really good shot of at least going somewhere uh, to play professional basketball next year, Oscar Shibway. One uh, – is he the best rebounder you've ever seen? This is the best rebounder I've ever seen. The guy has an unbelievable knack for the ball, and and he's not a huge. I mean, he's a big man, but he's not he's not a seven footer or anything like that. He's just he's probably six nine, super physical, and he just seems to just be able to put himself in the right spots and outwork everybody. That's it. That's it. He's relentless, uh, and his, <laughs> you know they were getting on him to re- rebound with two hands, two hands. And now everything is just picture perfect, yep. two hands. You don't see him reaching. Uh, he carves out his space. You, you can't move him. He's nonstop. He, you know, and in the end, you mm-hmm. know, they just played South Carolina. <laughs> Frank Martin 
was, you know, of course, visibly upset after his, you know, post game press conference. It's not like this guy was leaking out. This guy's hitting the glass and consistently beating us down the court. He said, "What is what? You know, he every time you look up, he's beating our guys down the court after hitting the glass." Uh, transferred in from West Virginia. Uh, initially wanted to come to Kentucky, ended up at West Virginia, uh, and he was. I think all Big 12 was a freshman at West Virginia, even though he was really yeah. wanting to be at Kentucky. It didn't work out his sophomore year. There was another big there and uh, kind of soured. Yeah, yeah, kind of soured. And, you know, Bob Huggins said he didn't work hard, which if it's he's not working about. hard, <laughs> yeah. I'd hate to see him work if he did. Right. He had a 28-rebound game against Western Kentucky. He had um, 18 and 18 the other night. I mean, just like crazy, crazy stat lines. He gets 14 rebounds in the game. His average goes down. You know, that's, you know, so, um, and he's, he's adding to his game offensively. He's, he's getting a little bit of a jump hook. He's starting to, you know, pick and pop at the free throw line a little bit. Uh, a little bit of trouble with longer seven footers from time to time, like Kessler and, and some of those shot blockers. Mm-hmm. But uh, passing out of double teams a little bit better. He's, you kind of just see, you can see the wheels turning the way he plays, but he's, you know, stays after games for however long he needs to as far as people there waiting to sign. He's just so accommodating. That's great. He's the, I mean, you know, if, you know, old ladies wish he was their son-in-law or, you know, his grandson, he's, he's just the perfect, perfect beloved fan. He's going to be one of the most beloved ever. And that's saying a lot in one season. You got a lot uh, to choose from too. Yeah. And, you you know, Julius Randle, his freshman season, a ton of double doubles. Uh, he had a string of double doubles. You know, you got you, you got to go back to you know Dan Issel put up crazy mm-hmm. rebound numbers back in '69 or '70. But he's, I mean, he's he's insane as far as he might be the best rebounder by the time it's all said and done. I think he's got a chance to get 500 outside chance of getting 500 this season if he maintains down these last handful of games in the regular season. This is a guy that said he wanted to average 20 rebounds a game this year. And like people didn't actually laugh at him because it, it wasn't that out of the realm of possibility. Exactly. I, I think the main reason I was interested in him for this podcast uh, was because the Wizards just had an undersized center that was an energy big that played his college basketball in the state of Kentucky at that other school that we won't mention. Uh <laughs> But he was a player that I think endeared himself to fans, at least on the court very early on. And that's Montres Harrell. They're different players, but if Harrell can carve out an NBA career like he has at 6'7", I don't see why Shibway couldn't do it at 6'9". And that seems like the big knock on him is just he's, air quotes, too small to be impactful at the NBA level. And I hope that's the case because, you I mean, now there's so much stretch four stuff. And, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, 15 years ago, he'd have been Ben Wallace. Yeah, right. And yep. now the league is different. So hopefully, I mean, he might have to be a G League. He might have to two-way. He might have to prove himself and, and be a backup somewhere for a while until he latches on and gets a shot. But uh, it's not going to be for lack of effort and, and working at it. Uh, he's from the Congo. Had, he's been over here forever. Hadn't seen his family in forever. He, it's like he rebounds for his family. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, everything I do is for – Changing my family's life, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's like he plays that way. It it oozes out of him when he's on the court. Yeah, he, he's really fun to watch. In in my opinion, that's the college player of the year. Uh, but we'll see how that actually plays out. All right, last question, Vinny, and then I'll get you out of here. You got to start bench cut. 
Shea Gilgis Alexander, Tyrese Maxey, Ty Ty Washington. Ooh, let's see. At Kentucky, based on what they did at Kentucky? You can or... base it off whatever criteria you'd like to base it off of. I, I think that's probably the easiest. Ooh, let's see. All right. We got uh man, let's see. Let's see. Oh uh, put you on the spot here. I did not prep I did yeah. not prep uh, Vinny that I was gonna throw this one at him. So at Kentucky, because Shay Shay was surprised everybody. Nobody mm-hmm. saw him doing that at Kentucky. Um I might I might have to start Shay bench. Tata and cut Maxi if we're going by what they did at Kentucky. Yeah. And you know, Maxi burst on the scene at Michigan State and had you know, about dropped 30 on them in his first game. And he was part of that team with Quickly and, and uh, Nick Richards that, you know, didn't get to play in a tournament due to COVID. Mm-hmm. But uh, so that great, you know, what, what, what might have been. But I think, yeah, I'll start Shea. Tata off the bench based off of what he could, has the potential to do. And then, yeah, pinch Maxi. And one more thing, too, about Tata. He's a, he's a West Coast kid who's kind of kind of dispelling the notion that West Coast kids come to Kentucky and don't stay because we, we've had Johnny Juzang transfer. Oh, there you go. Kyle Wilcher went back and, yeah. and, and played with Gonzaga. Uh, Jamal Baker went back to Arizona and Fresno State and, and all of that. Devin Askew. Yeah, Texas, right? Texas. So yeah. he's from Phoenix. And so, that you know, the West Coast kids in Phoenix can kind of, hey, you can come to Kentucky and do well. So that's another feather in his cap for you – know, it's not – I mean, I'm, you know, they use it in recruiting. Again, sure. you know, look, you West Coast kids, why do you want to go to Everybody Kentucky? Everybody bails on Kentucky. So, yeah, yeah. They don't so like Ty-Ty, it there. So can kind of dispel that uh, as well. That's awesome. Uh I would answer the same way for what it's worth. I, I think Maxie was probably just like a little too late to the party after that. You know, he had like a really like long stretch of kind of less impactful play. Uh, yeah. Vinny, this has been awesome, man. Thank you for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. For anybody who is interested in more Kentucky coverage and more in-depth analysis of the team uh, that you've just kind of offered here, where can where can they find you? Man, uh, you can go to at Believe in Kentucky. On on all the platforms, got the got the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, and the TikTok. There you um, go, the TikTok. I didn't know that yeah, one. There you go. Yeah, I stick a little, a few little posts and stuff from like from episodes on there. And I need to do something else. It's been a little minute since so I put something on there, but go on there and follow it. Uh, and follow me personally at Vinny Hardy, Vinny with a Y, Hardy with a Y. And this has been a ton of fun. And appreciate you having me on, Matt. It's always good to catch up with you. Right back at you. Go Cats. I will root for them tonight. Uh, they're playing Tennessee for, for anybody uh, who wants to go back and watch it. That game will probably have already taken place by the time I get this one out to everybody. But uh, it, it will be worth a watch just to see more of uh, Mr. Ty Ty Washington. That's uh, right. Vinny, thanks again. Good luck. And I'll, I'll talk to you along the way. Hey, appreciate it, Matt. Thanks so much for having me, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, that was awesome. Vinny is, like I said, a, as rabid a Kentucky Wildcat fan as anybody I know. So I thought he was the perfect person to come on and talk about Ty Ty Washington for this week's prospect profile. Again, I'm going to try to get you at least one person every episode that you know might be in the Wizards general draft range. So hopefully now we all have a better sense for what Ty Ty is all about. And I, I think I am a little more swayed on him as a player just hearing, uh, you know, Vinny 
assuage some of my concerns about his game. So really cool stuff. Thanks to both guests. This has been Believe in Wizards as always. Please rate, review, subscribe. And as always, we were presented by betonline.ag today. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.